Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. Today, we are wrapping up our series on Breathe Easy. Um, In this series, we've talked about a healthier pace of life. In America, we have a really fast pace of life. It is so hectic and so busy that it chokes the life out of our existence. And many people are not living. They're existing. They're just kind of, they're on survival mode. They're always kind of just getting by. And what, what this series has been about is about learning to breathe, learning to slow down, learning habits that are going to help you have not just a healthier life, but a healthier pace of life. Amen? And we've talked about four areas already, and today we're going to talk about the last one. We talked about your social life. We said that it is important to have good friends because your friends tell you where you're going to end up. Show me who you hang out with, and I'll I'll show you where you'll end up, right? Then we spoke about your mind. We said that the health of our mind matters. I'm grateful that we live in a time where mental health is a real thing. And you're in a church that believes in mental health. We believe that God also heals and works in our mind. But then we also spoke about our physical bodies. We said that caring for our physical bodies is important. Because if you have a bright mind, and if you have a good heart, and you're an anointed person, but you're always sick, then you're limited to what you can do. Your impact is limited to your physical condition. And we also spoke about the most important, the most impacting area, and that is your spiritual life. Your spiritual life has the potential to impact every other area unlike any other area. Last week, or better said, two weeks ago, we spoke about our inner life. We spoke about having peace. We spoke about that crazy turmoil that sometimes is going on inside of us that takes us to depression, that takes us to anxiety, that takes us to all kinds of nasty things, and how we can go from chaos to calm. Today... I want to talk about your finances. And I know some people don't like going to church because they say all they do is talk about money. Well, you came on the Sunday where we are going to talk about money. But here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. And as you listen, I pray that you would listen. You will see that I am not preaching to you to get something out of you. I am going to preach to you to help you have a better financial future. Because see, many people today, the number one thing they worry about is finances. If you're a man, that's especially you. Some of your worst worrying seasons is over what? Money. 
right? Either jobs are slow, you're not making enough, your hours got cut back, and you begin to lose sleep, you begin to lose hair, and your stomach begins to grow. (laughs) That's not because of finances. That's because of the pan dulce you're eating (laughs) at 10 at night. So today, we're going to talk about the financial area, and here's what I want from you. Here's what I want for you, I'm sorry. I want you to have a firm financial future. Let me tell you, and you may be saying, but pastor, how could you tell us about that? Well, I'm not rich, but I am financially secured. Let me tell you a little bit about it. And I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you that what we're about to learn today works. When Lorraine and I got married back in 2006, when we were 24 years old, um, I had a really good job and I was making $200 in a, a day cash, okay? And she was one semester away from finishing her, uh, her education in Northridge to become an elementary teacher. We thought for sure our financial future looked bright. In fact, we did what a lot of people do. We went and we bought a bunch of things in credit. Because I don't know, those of you that are older, you'll remember, right? Remember Circuit City? That they used to have, that they used to have the 36-month interest-free purchases. Remember, you could buy something, and for 36 months, you didn't have to pay interest. And if you paid it off, like, there was no interest. So we were like, you know, we're going to, we got a good financial future ahead of us. Let's go get a TV. Let's go get a bedroom. Let's go get a living room. Let's go get a kitchen. Let's go get all that stuff. And we're going to be able to pay it off. Well, we got married. And my boss began to use drugs, and the company went downhill. And I went, and I went from making $200 to making $80. And then Lorena graduated, and she began to get her feet wet. And suddenly, I don't know if you remember this, that's when they started handing all the red uh, notes to the teachers here in California. They were letting a bunch of teachers go. So there was no openings for her. The only openings for her were for like these trouble schools right here in Pacoima, right? It's like she didn't know if she was walking into a school or a prison, right? She didn't know if there were students or inmates. It it was really dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) It was Pacoima. I don't know. Don't blame me. Uh, Okay, don't blame me. Pacoima, okay? I live in Pacoima. It's Arlita Hills, but it's part of Pacoima. <laughs> so anyways, 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 can I tell my story? All right. So, so it was so bad, it was so bad that I told her like, well, don't take those gigs anymore. Like, like if you can't even teach because they don't, the kids don't want to learn and you feel it's so dangerous, well then don't take it. And our finances plummeted. Greatly, to the point that for almost a year, we would pay one bill one month and then pay the other bill the other month. And we were doing that. Lorena and I, within our first year, I don't know that I've ever said this, many times we sat in our kitchen room and we contemplated splitting apart over finances. Our marriage could have ended within the first year because of finances. Till one day, till one day, I came to Dayspring, because we we're already in Dayspring, and Pastor Frank spoke about finances. And he gave us what I'm going to share with you today. And I said, that's what I want. Yeah. 
I want to get out of debt. I don't want to owe anything. And I want to have some savings. It took us three years, but we got out of debt. Listen to me. It's been almost 14 years since I've paid any kind of interest on anything. I don't owe anything, anything, nothing, right? I, my TV, I paid for it. My shoes, they're not like Curacao's, they're mine. <laughs> right? My car is not owed to a bank, it's mine. That's why it's a Ford. If you ever wonder why I drive Ford, that's what I can afford. <laughs> right? I'd rather own a Ford than owe the bank and drive a whatever, right? So, so listen, not only have Lorena and I been debt-free for a very long time, very long time, but back, back about six, seven years ago, Back about six, seven years ago, Lorena was offered a really good job, really good job. She was going to make all kinds of money. And we took it. We took it. We said, you got to take it. And she worked for almost two years. You know what we did with that money? We did two things. We paid for babysitting. We paid our tithes. And you know what we did with the rest? We saved it to invest it. Because Lorena... And I knew that we didn't want her to work all her life. But we wanted to be smart about what God had given us to have it keep producing. So we saved it and we couldn't afford a house here in Southern California, but we could in Bakersfield. So we actually bought some little, some little uh, motor homes that we own that till today pay us rent. You know how? Lorena can be a stay-at-home mom with a pastor's salary because I don't know if you know pastors don't make a lot of money, just in case you are wondering. You know how? Number one, we've stayed debt-free. And number two, we've learned to invest what God has given us to use it wisely. That's how. And we value more the financial peace that we have and the ability to raise our own kids than to drive a Lexus. And if you can drive a Lexus and be debt-free, praise God, good for you. But so I tell you that not to show off, but to tell you this stuff works. It really works. And you know what was the biggest thing that I, that, that I had to get through my head? That being financially secured was not a money thing. Because some of you make good money but you're still as broke as when you had a McDonald's job. You know why? Because it's not a money problem. I mean, you got to have some income coming in. If you're not working and you got no income, yes, you do have a money problem. But for most of us that are in financial problems, it's not a money coming in problem. It is a money going out problem. It is not an income problem. It is a habits problem. And listen... The number one area of stress for people today is finances, especially in marriage. Did you know that 50% of marriages that end up getting divorced point as their finances as the cause for their divorce? Did you know that 70%, uh, where's my notes? 70% of couples, when they fight, they fight over money. 
So how do you relieve some stress in your finances? How do you get to the place where you can start building a secure financial future? And by the way, let me say two things. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel, okay? I want you to know that I do not believe in the prosperity gospel. I do not believe that if you give God $100, he's going to give you $1,000. I don't believe that. But here's the other thing that I also don't believe. I don't believe God opposes us being financially secured. That being a Christian doesn't mean you have to be miserable and in need. Because after all, my Lord is the Lord of the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. Right? And some of the most godly men in the Bible were also some of the most wealthy men in the Bible. So I need you to know those two things. So how do we find, how do we create some financial relief when it comes to our financial future? Well, what I want to do today is I want to look at one man, and it's not Jesus, okay? We could have looked at Jesus, but we're not going to look at Jesus. We're going to look at one man, and here's what qualifies him to talk to us about a firm financial future. The first thing that qualifies him to speak to us on this topic is that, number one, he was the wisest man in the world in his days. He was the wisest man. There was no wiser man than this man. But not only was he wise, so not only did he make the right decisions, not only did he know how to make the right thing, but here's the second thing that's also important for today. He was the richest man in the world in his days. And I think those two are connected. Wealth is connected to wisdom. The more wise you are with your money, the more wealthy you will be with your money. Pastor Nestor, who's this man? Who was the wisest man in the world in his days? And who was the richest man in the world in his days? Well, his name is King Solomon. And in the book of Proverbs, he leaves for us this wisdom. He leaves for us this insight that helped him and can also help you and I. And I can attest that it works today. Because that is the way, even through a pandemic, that my wife and I have been able to have a financially secure foundation. Amen? Amen? So, I want to look at four things that Solomon says in this book of Proverbs. And the first thing is that if you want to have a strong financial future, the first habit that you need to have, the first habit that you need to develop is that you need to keep clear accounts. You need to keep clear accounts. I'll explain what I mean by that. Look at what Proverbs 27, 23 says. He says, be diligent to know the state of what? Your flocks and attend to your Herds. And you may be saying, but pastor, I don't own any flocks. I don't own any herds. Well, I think there's some people in your life that would disagree with you. Right? Now, in those days, wealth was tied up to flocks and herds. Today, some you crazy people out there own gallos and roosters and chibos and stuff, but the majority of us don't. We don't own sheep or goats or cows. So flocks and herds is equivalent to our possession, to our finances. 
What Solomon is saying here when he's saying, know the state of your flocks, of your herds, what he's saying is know the state of your finances. Know the state of what you have. See, what that means for us, back in the day, they had to know how many cows, how many sheep, what were the condition, how many males, how many females. They had to know all that because all that impacted their wealth. For us today, knowing the state of our flocks and herds means knowing how much we make, but more importantly, because everybody knows how much they make, more importantly, knowing where you spend that money. Because see, most of you guys know that you spend money, but you don't know how much you spend on how much. Why? Because you don't keep clear accounts. And if you are going to have a secure future, the first thing you need to have is order, is discipline. And you got to know the state of your finances. If you are the kind of person that says, Pastor, I'm just not good with checkbooks and I'm just not good at keeping track, I want to tell you something. You will always worry about money. You will always have problems with money and you'll always have regrets with money. Because you can't be disorderly with your money and be secure. Do you know why really wealthy people end up broke? This is the reason why. They didn't keep clear accounts when it came to their finances. So do you know the state of your herds and flock? Let me tell you four things you need to know. You ready for this? You can fill them out in your outline. Number one, you need to know what you have. You need to know what you have. Or in financial terms, the expression is you got to know your net worth. Your net worth is not just your income. It's your real estate. It's other possessions that you have, right? I, I know this is not an expression that should often be used in the church, but I think in light of our finances, it is proper for us to use it. Do you know how much you're worth? You're not worth the $19 an hour that you get paid. You're not worth the 23. No, you are worth more than that. Do you know what you have? The second thing you need to know, and this is the easy one, you need to know what you earn. Do you know how much you make? You should know. You should know how much you make per day, how much you make per week, how much you make per month, how much you make per quarter, how much you make per year. That's a really easy one. But the third one, and here's one many people run from, and that's why they get in trouble. You need to know what you owe. How much do you owe? See, most people in America owe more than they earn and more than they worth. That's why they're in trouble. You need to know how much you owe. You know how much I owe? Zero. And I would want you to get to that place too. And I want somebody to say, well, what about our mortgage, Pastor? Like, if you had a mortgage, that would be different. That is the only time it, 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 it doesn't apply because when you're paying a mortgage, you're actually paying and getting back more than what you're paying because your house is, especially here in California, right? Your house value is always on the rise. So it's actually an investment. Owning, owning a home is an investment, right? Do you know how much you owe? And here's another one. Where is it going? Where is it going? How much of your money does Starbucks get? How much of your money is going to Jeff Bezos? Where is it going? 
So if you want to have a firm financial future, the first habit you need to develop is the habit of discipline, and you got to keep clear accounts. Did you know, you, well, you don't know this. I don't know if I mentioned it before. Every week, I sit down to do our budget. Every week, I sit down to look, to write down all of our expenses and to pay them off. Every week, I sit down to put our savings aside and to cover whatever things we need to cover. Every week. Every week, I do it. And whenever I don't get a chance to do it for one week, it gets really messy. And that's when Lorena and I end up arguing. So if you haven't sat down with your spouse, especially if you're married, to do this in a very long time, can you blame why you're always bickering about money? Do you have to go see your mom all the way to Palmdale again? Don't you know gas is $6 an hour? Uh, uh, a gallon, I'm sorry. Right? Number two, second habit, second habit. Second thing Solomon tells us about a firm financial future is you got to establish a budget. You got to establish a budget. And you already heard me use that B word, right? That's the B bad word, budget. Look at what Solomon says in Proverbs 21.5. Look at this. Good planning and what? Hard work lead to what? Okay, let me stop right there. Some of you guys work hard and hard and hard. You take 16-hour shifts, but you're still in financial trouble. Because you're missing the other part of the equation. Good planning and hard work. See, if you have good planning, but you don't go to work, you can't prosper. And if you work hard, but you don't plan, you won't prosper. But if you have good planning and hard work, Solomon says that you will what? You will prosper. See, good planning, what is good planning when it comes to finances? Can we go to the next slide? Good planning is spending your money in advance. That's what a budget is, spending your money in advance. If you don't have a plan, can I tell you what your plan is? Sales, impulses, manipulation, your desires. Oh, I just, I just, I was just really craving a steak. I know we couldn't afford it, but I was just craving it. Let's just go with it. And then when your car tags are due, you can't afford to pay them. Why? Because you had a stake. Good planning is spending your money in advance. Can I, I know that I know if you're not if you're not a budget person, I know this is not gonna sound right, but you need to trust me on this. When Lorena goes grocery shopping, I don't have to worry how much she's gonna spend. You know why? Because we've decided in advance how much money of our income we put aside for groceries. When we go out on the weekends, we don't have to guess how much we can spend because we decided in advance how much money of our income we're going to put aside for our spending. And you know, when, when we go out and we use it up, then we got to go home and eat a cup of noodles. Good planning, spending your money in advance because if you don't, you're going to be impulsive. You're, you're, you're going to fall prey. Did you know that all salesmen want you to make impulsive decisions. That's why they tell you, the sale's only today. If you don't take it today, we might not have your size tomorrow. 
because they want you to buy it on the spot. Can I tell you something? It's a beautiful thing to say, I need a fridge and you can go buy that thing cash. And I have to be shopping for a fridge you want and then one you can be approved for. Because I know some of you, you, you go shopping and that's what's in the back of your mind. Will I get approved for this car? Will I get approved for this bed? Will I get approved for this amount? What if you didn't have to be approved because you already approved yourself by having a budget? So number one is the habit of discipline. But number two is the habit of budgeting. Look at what Proverbs 21, 20 says. The wise, the wise, right? The ones who make a good plan. The wise have wealth and what? Luxury. But fools, what do fools do? My mom, and I'm not going to say it, but if you're Hispanic, I know, I know, don't say it out loud, okay? My mom had this really improper saying about money that is very prominent in, in our Hispanic culture. And she would say, something else lasts longer in your hand than money. And I won't tell you what that other thing is. I, I, know, I know somebody got it. See, some people don't know how to manage money So they feel that whatever they get, they have to spend it. And what do they do? They spend it impulsively. And that's why they're always broke. That's why they're always worried. Third habit, third habit. Third thing Solomon tells us, if you want a strong financial future, you got to develop a savings plan. So number one was keep clear accounts, have a budget. But the third is you got to have a savings plan. Look at what Proverbs 13, 11 says. It says, whoever gathers money, how? Little by little makes it grow. You know what the secret to having savings is? Saving it little by little. You know how most people try to save money? When they get large sums, they say, oh, when I get my tax return, I'll save some money. Do you? Do you? How often do you get large sums of money? Rarely. The best way to save money is to save money little by little. And that's where a budget comes in. It's to say, hey, I'm going to put 100 bucks away every week. I'm going to put 30 bucks away every week. You know, my parents, I am so grateful for the way my parents were with me. I'd like to say with all of us, but I can't speak for my brothers. And they taught me great financial um, uh, habits, although sometimes they didn't have them. When I turned 18 and I wanted to get a car, did you know that my dad didn't go buy me a car? Not because he didn't love me. Not because he was a bad dad. But he wanted to teach me responsibility. And he said, you're working now, you save and you buy it. He went with me to look at cars, to make the deals for the cars, but he didn't buy it for me. And because he didn't buy it for me and it cost me, guess what? I took care of that sucker like nothing else. But you got to learn to save little by little. It's putting aside little by little that allows you to accumulate and be able to get to a better place. Everybody, listen. I read this statistic and I thought, I thought that's got to be wrong. That can't be right. Did you know that the average American 
has $1,000 in savings? And some of you are like, $1,000? Wow, what are they doing? $1,000 is nothing. It's nothing. $1,000 doesn't get you anything anymore. When I talk about savings, I'm not talking about $1,000. Here's what I'm talking about. Every single person ought to have three to six months of their income saved in case they lose their job or they get a rainy day. Three to six months, pastor? Yeah, you don't get there overnight. You save little by little. Everybody ought to have a retirement savings plan. And no, your kids are not your retirement savings plan. You need a better one. Because if you didn't teach them good financial habits, what kind of plan are they going to be? You need, you need a savings plan. And you need, to have, you need to have an emergency budget. If your car breaks down, you shouldn't have to depend on MasterCard to lend you money to fix it. A few, uh, a few weeks back, our refrigerator broke. And we had been delaying it just, we, Lauren and I get so busy with the kids and, and church and stuff like that, that it wasn't a matter of wanting or being able to. We just hadn't been able to get around to, to, to going to look for a fridge. It finally gave out and like the food was going to go bad, right? Um, so at 1130 at night, we both jumped on Costco.com to shop for a refrigerator. Our, to our blessing, Costco was having a major sale on refrigerators that day. And we got a fridge that was originally $3,500 for $1,800. And here's the best part. We got to buy it at the moment because we didn't have to worry, well, do we have that kind of money? Why? Because for many years, we had been saving for things like that. Can I tell you another secret? And I, sometimes I'm tempted to say these things because then you're going to think I'm really rich. And I'm not rich. I'm just following the wisdom of Solomon. Our white explorer, we bought it cash. In fact, when we went to the dealership and we told the guy that we wanted to pay cash, he was like, why would you do that? And I said, why would I pay you more money in interest? <laughs> and I wrote him a check for the amount and gave him the check. Pastor, how were you able to do that? Here's why. Because we went and we got a car out of a dealership. And when we realized how much we were paying in interest, we said, we're going to pay that thing off as soon as possible. So we paid it off. But you know what we kept doing? We kept acting like we still had a car payment, but instead of paying the bank, we were paying ourselves. So we kept saving and saving and saving. So when we needed a car, guess what? I didn't have to go to the bank and say, hey, can you lend me $30,000? No, because I had been acting like I still had a car payment, but it was in my bank account. And I'll give you another tip. It was creating interest for me. For me, did you know that right now, the interest on money that you put aside is almost 4%? So instead of giving it to the bank, the bank was giving it to me. So we were able to buy our white car. And after we bought it, what did you do, pastor? Did you take that money and go get Disneyland season passes? No, we kept acting like we still had a car payment. Guess what? When my four breaks up, guess what? I could go buy another one cash. It's not because I'm wealthy. 
It's because if you are wise and you have a plan and you save, you will have a firm financial future. But I'll give you the last one. And here's the last one. And I know you're going to be tempted to say, no, you're only saying that because you're a pastor. No, I really believe that this is the foundation to the condition of my finances. And it ought to be the foundation to your finances. In fact, I will tell you, if you make a good plan, And if you have good savings and you keep clear accounts, but you don't do this fourth one, you will not get as blessed as you could, okay? And and I'm not telling you that to threaten you. I'm telling you that because I really, really believe that with all my heart. And here's the fourth financial habit that Solomon tells us. The fourth is cultivate the habit of tithing. Cultivate, in other words, nurture, grow, in the habit of tithing. Look at what Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says. It says, honor the Lord with what? With your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with all the best parts of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with what? With good wine. Listen to me. How do we honor God? We honor God with our bodies. We offer it as a, as, a, as a living sacrifice. We honor God with our minds by thinking about things above. We honor God with our schedule by making him a priority. But we also honor God with our finances. And there is, there is a spiritual principle that the Bible teaches that it's called tithing. And tithing is when you take, listen to me, when you take 10% of all that you get and you give it to God first. You don't wait to see if you got any left or you don't wait to see if you don't need it to give it to God. No, you say 10% of what I get is, is given back to the Lord because that's where it came from. I know that for some of you, that seems, that seems illogical. It's like, it's about saving. If I'm saving, how is it that giving creates better savings? Here's why. Here's why. God doesn't ask us to give 10% because he wants to take from you, but because he wants to see if he could trust you to give you more. And if you cannot give back what he says belongs to him from what he gave you, he can't trust you with more. And honoring God with your finances is the foundation for financial blessing. I want to tell you something. I have never missed a tithe since I was 16 years old. Never. In fact, my wife, she is so, at first I thought she was kind of like legalistic, you know, but now I see that it's really love for God. She has even pushed me to tithe from birthday money. So whenever some of you guys are nice enough and you give me a love offering, I take 10% of that and I give it back to God. And that's been the foundation. And and let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Lorena and I believe so much in this that every year we have increased the percentage that we give to the Lord. Lorena and I, we are not at 10%. We give more than 10%. 
And our desire is, believe it or not, that we would be able to get to the place, I'm not kidding you, where we can give back to God 50% of what he gives us. I really want to. And not just that, but, but listen, check this out. A few years back, we were, t- we were talking and praying about our finances and, and the Lord placed this thought into her heart and my heart. And the thought was, and it came out of a Bible verse, right? The greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord and to love others. And the Bible calls us to be generous, right? So we had this idea or this, this sentiment that we felt that the Holy Spirit placed in our heart. And we, we understood that the Lord wanted us to not just keep tithing, but to take another 10% of our income and set it aside to be a blessing to people and to give it to people in need. And we've been doing that for a couple of years now. We give our more than our tithe and we take another 10% of our whole income and we set it aside so that when there's earthquakes, when somebody loses a loved one, when we see somebody in need, we don't have to guess, can we help them? We know that we have money to help them. Why do we do this? One simple reason. Jesus said that there was more blessing in giving than in receiving. If you are not tithing, that doesn't make you a bad person. That just makes you a disobedient person. But most importantly, it robs you of the ability to God, for God to trust you with more. And in our church, I don't know who tithes or who doesn't. I don't. I don't even count the offering. I don't even deposit the money into the bank account. I'm not even the one that pays the bills in our church. Because I don't want money to be something that gets in the way of me loving you or ministering to you. But I will tell you this, and I said this a few weeks back. It's a small percentage of people in our church that are faithful, generous tithers that are keeping Dayspring going on a consistent basis. So I want to ask you, for your own sake, Because Dayspring is your home. This is not my church. Can can I confess something to you? And I've said it a couple of times. I hate it when people tell me, oh, your church. This is not my church. I'm just a pastor here. I could die today and they'll bring another pastor for you guys. And guess what? All the keys that I have, they'll go to him. This is not my church. This is our church. This is your church too. And the more faithful you are to God, the better things God can do in your own home church. If you ever wonder, why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? Can I tell you the number one reason we don't do it? Because we don't have the finances to do it. In fact, if you've been in Dayspring long enough, you know that we don't ask for money, except for one time a year. And I don't know if you remember, you probably don't, but back last year and back in 2020, I didn't ask for money. And I didn't ask for any money Because I knew we went through a pandemic and I knew many of you were struggling financially. And I was spending some time with the Lord. I was like, Lord, you know that I know the needs of the church. And I really felt freedom from God to ask you for money this year. So I am going to ask you for money. Not today. Well, you could do it today if God moves you today. But listen, our kids ministry needs great renovation. Have you walked in there? 
Have you walked into those bathrooms? Have you seen that nasty floor? Have you seen that ugly paint on the walls? Have you seen those old whiteboards? Have you seen those cabinets that are falling apart? Our kids deserve better. So I want to ask you to help me raise funds, not so that I can go to Disneyland, not so that I could get a raise, but so that we can improve our kids' ministry area. We want to change the floors. We want to change the walls. We want to give them some new whiteboards. They're using check-ins with with iPads that they have to keep charge all week because if not, by the time you get here, they're dead. Why should we be struggling in day spring with those kind of things? Why can't we have an iPad Pro for our kids' ministry? Why do we have to have TVs that are 32 inches and that the remote control doesn't work anymore? Why can't we give them 85-inch TVs to our kids? Why not? Am I the only one that loves our kids that way? So so here it is. I'm going to ask you to do two things. I'm going to ask you to do two things. Number one, I'm going to ask you, if you're not tithing, would you begin to honor God and do that? Begin to do that. But second, I'm telling you about our kids' ministry because we're not gonna use we're not gonna start raising this money until next year. So I'm telling you now so that you can begin to make plans and talk to your spouse and do that. My wife and I, we're gonna commit to giving a thousand dollars to the kids' ministry to do that, to do what we need to do there. And I wanna ask you to pray. And I want to ask you to be generous and to help us improve God's house so that we could honor him better. Are you with me? Now, if you already have the money and you're like, no, I'm not going to wait till then because I might spend it. I'll do it now. You could give it today and just put kids ministry project and we will give you an account of what everybody gave, where it went and how it was used. But listen, God wants to bless us. What gets in the way is not his desire. What gets in the way is often our habits. Keep clear accounts. Develop a budget. Have a savings plan. And honor God with your tithe. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus. And no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations, if you made that prayer, God lives in you, and now you have a new life in Him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Dayspring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.